Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Neil Fox, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined down the line, as always, by Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. Hello, Neil. Good to speak to you again. Uh, how are things going at the moment? Yeah, pretty good. I'm in North Wales at uh, the in-laws. Uh, we're here for a few days visiting and getting ready for Christmas. And yeah, just been kind of winding up the year uh, work-wise uh, while I'm here and enjoying some long beach walks, which has been nice. Not been too well, so kind of yeah using it to, to recuperate as well what about yourself yeah i mean i've just been sort of trying to digest the results of the election and um try to figure out i don't worry i'm not going to go off on a big rant or anything like that that's um, good i was braced there i thought here it comes <laughs> yeah brace for impact no no it's um i mean the, it's made me think a lot of things but one of the main things it's made me think about is my relationship to social media again for the umpteenth time and just that sense of being in a complete bubble when you think you know what's going on and and Twitter just does not give you a picture of the world at all. And when you think about the last three years, you know, we've been online, reading articles, tweeting articles, talking with people, arguing with people for three years and then suddenly wallop, that's it, it's all over. We move on. And, you know, just a sort of day later, I was like, okay, well, you know, we just move forward. We have to... We have to think about what the what the world is going to look like. But it, it made me look back and think, what was the point of that for three years? I've just spent all of that time and energy for nothing. And I think with the new year coming up, I'm definitely going to sort of redesign my practice, let's say, when it comes to sort of uh, engagement using social media. Yeah, I feel exactly the same. And I think that the, the election, timed when it does, you know, in terms of that kind of new year, it's been really useful from a kind of personal level to have January the 1st I'm not normally a big resolutions person you know uh, or that kind of calendar but it but it feels like okay here's an opportunity yeah to to rethink because it's just yeah it, I, I've, I've you know we've talked about it a lot but I do feel the same and it definitely feels like there's there's no value to be had from that kind of level of engagement um in that space in in terms of politics or film you know the two kind of the two things that we we spend a lot of time kind of caring about and thinking about it just feels utterly utterly kind of futile um in that space and that the energy could energy could be better spent elsewhere yeah and there's there's been a couple of people on twitter who have said that that i don't know them personally but have just said oh i'm not gonna i'm gonna stop writing about film or i'm gonna stop this because of twitter and i kind of think to myself well yeah, I understand your, that that reaction, but it's kind of like, but Twitter is not film. Yeah, you know what I mean. You could be a film aficionado, you could be a, a cinephile, you can be a big film fan, and have nothing to do with Twitter and and deal with it on its own terms. But it it does suck you in to feel like if you're not commenting, then you're not part of the conversation. But it's not yeah. the conversation; it's a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, our podcast is as successful as it is, and as and as kind of joyous as it is in terms of our interactions, largely because of Twitter. Yeah. So it's not a case of walking away from something which is yeah, has had a profoundly. Need we need it, and it's yeah. it's been really rewarding, you know. But but that that reframing of engagement, I think, is is necessary. It definitely feels necessary because, like you say, that it feels like looking back on the last couple of years and just the the denigration of conversation that kind of adds value to the lie to life is is really apparent now and uh yeah want to kind of start the new year in a more positive mindset um so and we'll be starting the new year you know very positively with this release of this episode i suppose indeed so this is the uh so this is part two of our bfi uh, 
of our BFI Musicals collaboration. And this is an event that you participated in quite recently, Neil, which, uh, you know, I've listened to the, uh, the content you definitely enjoyed around the, uh, the film Funny Girl and particularly the, the persona, the, the, the stardom of, of Barbara Streisand, I suppose. Yeah, so kind of to those of you who listened to the first episode in this two-parter, we mentioned the kind of the interest in in episodes like this to invite us to see films that we hadn't seen or to think about things in a in a way that we hadn't necessarily done before. And if musicals was an area we ha- we had both of us had never really spent a lot of time talking about, certainly not really kind of going into on the podcast. The work of Barbara Streisand was definitely a an area that. I had neglected intellectually, let's say. Um, so, yeah, one of the one of the events that looked interesting was the work of um, Reclaim the Frame and uh, Bird's Eye View, um, uh, who were kind of led by Mia Bays, and they invited they invited me to the Plymouth screening of uh, Funny Girl to kind of to cover it really, and then uh, asked me to join the panel. So there was a kind of post post film Q and A panel and I and myself and uh, the music video director Andrew uh, Whiston who goes by the name of Wiz and uh, Professor Roberta Mock kind of yeah just shared our thoughts on the film and it was it was really fun because yeah I was talking about musicals and uh, Roberta was talking about Streisand particularly and then uh, and Wiz was talking about kind of form and, and directing and things like that so it was really nice um, to not have to be an expert on Streisand because that would be a disaster I'd be that classic man up there just kind of fumbling through going yeah well you know she's really so I didn't have to do that which was which was good um but but be able to think about particularly the and I can we talk about this and we might talk about this as well that 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 period you know and William Wyler as a kind of director in that time and and Streisand as a new star you know because that you know all our listeners know we we like that period um in terms of like you know 67 onwards it's a very fruitful area for us to think about and a lot of our our favorites kind of come from that kind of classic new hollywood period but here's a film which hits at the same time which is not new hollywood at all so that was really interesting to to kind of to think about and it was just it was just great to to kind of to be invited along um and see a film i'd never seen on the big screen as well which was you know which was exciting um and that kind of nervousness of like oh if, what if i really don't like it or you know what if it's not that i thought it would be bad but you know, just like what? What have I got nothing to to kind of to say? And then to to see a performer um, kind of deliver such a tour de force performance um, at such a young kind of cinematic age was was just was exciting. Yeah, yeah. We'll definitely get into this after the uh, the audio that you hear. But yeah, just sort of appreciating somebody like Barbara Streisand who, you know, doesn't need our appreciation, really, to be honest. But do you know what I mean? It, it, placing her into a into a sort of context of film film analysis, maybe, or, or just how she can be reconciled with, say, that era, the kind of genres that she's doing, what she did afterwards. Is it the case that there are certain figures who are absolutely brilliant and and everybody knows that and are lauded but yet still i don't know just because of the 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 meter the metier they're working in are always going to sit outside you know of, of a certain a, a certain level of, of of appreciation or level of lauding that this person is an all-time great of the cinema do you know what i mean like would you see 
because of the of the genres and the type of actor and singer, well, more of the type of actor the singer that Streisand is, she would never get say compared with someone like Meryl Streep. Do you know what I mean? I think that, that there's the way that 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 film history and film culture sort of taxonomizes people mm. and puts them into a, a certain puts them up to a certain level and and they can't and they sit inside that because of because of the areas that they're working is in is quite interesting i think yeah i think that is interesting because you know that there's there there's lots of things there to kind of to unpack isn't there you know because like streisand is a huge global star but her yeah, absolutely but her her reputation in cinema is is complicated you know mm. um She's not considered on the level of Streisand, and people might say, "Well, she only made Streep." Streep, sorry, Streep. yeah, she's not considered on the level of Streep, and people might point to the fact that she, well, she's only made twenty films. But mm. you know, people Lord Malick and Kubrick, and they didn't make that many films, you know. So you know, but but there is yeah, that yeah, sense yeah. of well, Streep's got this body of work in serious drama, and Streisand has made a few musicals, you know. And I, I, I'm guilty of that myself. I sort of sort of allude to it, but essentially, you know, her work was acceptable when she was working with Bogdanovich in What's Up, Doc to me, in terms of my taxonomy mm. of how this stuff works, but not necessarily, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because again, a, a kind of, not a prejudice, but a, musicals are not the first place I go, you know, so, um, yeah. and again, you know, Star is Born, the Streisand version, you know, she's there's a performance element to it built in, which is why, I, again, I kind of, I think Funny Girl is interesting because it's, the, the performer aspect is very much what kind of drives the story. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it, it was really interesting to kind of to to hear people talk about Streisand like Mia and Roberta, you know, and 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 not just assume that oh she doesn't need reclaiming, like she, yeah she doesn't need our support, but but is it is it right to just kind of dismiss someone in terms of their complexity because they're mega famous and you know sell out Vegas whenever they want kind of thing? I think that's that's always interesting because what what are you missing and i think that's what was great about this episode was like wow i've missed this this film you know and being able to kind of reconnect and connect with it has been has been great great so i'm looking forward to hearing it so yeah this is the reclaim the frame event that i attended in plymouth recently and you're going to hear me talking to mia bays who's the head honcho from bird's eye view who kind of does all this stuff and we did a pre event conversation and then you're going to hear mia's own introduction to the film and then you'll hear the post-film conversation, which was led by myself, Wiz and Roberta, with our opinions on the film and Streisand, and then the audience's brilliant contributions. I got 36 expressions. Sweet as pie to tough as leather. And that's six expressions more than all them uh, Barrymore's put together. Instead of just kicking me, why don't they give me a lift? Well, it must be a plot, because they're scared that I got such a gift. Well, I'm miffed, cause I'm the greatest star. I am by far, but no one knows it. Wait, they're gonna hear a voice, a silver flute. They'll cheer each two. Hey, that kid is terrific. Mm, when I expose it. Now, can't you see to look at me that I'm a natural Camille? As Camille, I just feel I've so much to offer. Hey, listen, kid, I know I'd be divine because I'm a natural coffer. <coughs> 
hump. I'm a great big clump of talent. Laugh. <laughs> They'll bend in half. Have you had a story about the traveling salesman? A thousand jokes stick around for the jokes. A thousand faces. Reiterate when you're gifted, then you're gifted. These are facts. I got no axe to grind. Hey, what are you blind? In all of the world, so far, I'm the greatest star. No autographs, please. You think beautiful girls are gonna stay down forever? I should say not. Any minute now, they're gonna be out. Finished. Then it'll be my turn. Hoomph. Who is the pip with pizzazz? Who is all ginger and jazz? Who is as glamour as sad? Who's an American beauty rose with an American beauty nose and ten American beauty toes? Thank you for joining me, Mia Bays. Hello. Hello. Uh, you are the kind of the head honcho at Reclaim the Frame. I am. Uh, can you explain a little bit about what Reclaim the Frame is and does? I can. Well, first of all, I'll explain what Bird's Eye View does because Bird's Eye View is the organisation. So we started life as a film festival showing films only by women from around the world at the BFI South Bank in London. And it was a 10-day festival of world cinema directed by women largely. And before my time, I'm a film producer and distribution strategist. And then in 2015, uh, they were having their last film festival and were going to close. And I felt like there was an opportunity to repurpose the organisation. And we are now a pathfinder for films by women. So, and a network for those who want to show them, watch them, release them um, or make them. And Reclaim the Frame is the name of our mission which is BFI funded to bring ever greater audiences to films by women. So we're always centering films that are written by women, directed by women, 
uh, based on a story by a woman. Largely new movies, um, but as we'll be talking about shortly, often reframing classics too. So looking at the the kind of the social media feed for these reclaim the frame events you are you are all over the country you're literally going around presenting these how important is it for you to be there at these events to make sure that you know that you are engaging directly with audiences rather than just because a lot of places would just send the films out and let them be screened you know what is it about going that kind of is important to you well, because we started life as a film festival and because I'm also a filmmaker, the thing that you know makes films catch a light is is audience engagement. And so therefore you need to be in the room to get take the temperature. And also it's show business and we should put on a show. And so it's really important to be in the room because you know, just showing a film I don't think is enough nowadays. We all know that there's loads of competition for people's attention, money, time. And it's really therefore important for the personal touch. And also you can convert people. So they may read something. It happens all the time. I don't care about who makes a film is a common one. Yeah. I just want to see really good films. I don't care about gender equality. But actually, if you're in the room and you frame it in a way that makes it clear that everyone's welcome and it's not films by women are not better or worse, they're just different, uh, then it just makes it feel like you're building a community. And also the big thing for us is that a lot of specialised films really struggle outside of London because the resources aren't there and the campaign's not there and the audience don't know what those films are. And so part of our on the ground, boots on the ground mission is to make audiences feel like this is something special, it's an event. Circus mm -hmm. came to town. Great. Um, you mentioned before that kind of part of the mission is re sort of claiming, reframing classic uh, or kind of historical film. And the focus of uh, the event this evening and kind of the, the tour is, is Barbara Streisand, which seems an odd choice just on the surface because you would assume that that Streisand is a megastar who doesn't necessarily ref need reframing but when you kind of just do a little bit of research you realize actually it's more complicated than that so why why did you pick Streisand as the person to kind of kind of reclaim yeah it's, it's interesting see that I, yeah I kind of felt the same way actually initially on the surface and then it came about because the BFI have got a mega season which is musicals this year and we were asked to apply, did loads of research, found it really hard to find anything that was written or directed by a woman that was musical, or very few. And then films that kept coming up were, you know, Streisand was in some way connected. And then the more that we then sort of looked at her career path and the, you know, winning, you know, the only woman who's won a Best Director Golden Globe for um, Yentl, and then... 11 years and the films are hit and then 11 years until she makes another film despite trying very hard to do so and still you know watching contemporaries like Warren Beatty you know you look at you chart her career and you've got Warren Beatty winning every Oscar known to man you know for films like Reds and being celebrated for being you know the best boy to the lead to the director to the writer to the producer to everything and then Streisand being called a control freak and wanting too much and all of those things that you know just all that usual language that gets mm -hmm. aligned around women and then 
she just kept coming up in all the research and then it just felt like also I'm I'm a daughter of a huge Dyson fan and so and my mother is no more uh here no more and so that also felt a kind of kind of personal kinship and then there's so much interesting stuff around her identity and being called too Jewish and you know that that the identity politics as well is really interesting now to reframe in a modern context great well I'm really looking forward to uh yeah kind of being part of the the event this evening thanks for inviting me onto the panel and uh, yeah thanks for coming on the podcast yeah pleasure Neil always wanted to meet you so yeah we follow you too great thank you Welcome. Can you hear me? Am I on? <coughs> there we go. Hello. Um, my name is Mia Bayes and I run Bird's Eye View and I know a few of you and welcome to the people that I don't. Welcome to Bob Strauss and fans in the second row here. We've already established a connection. Uh, so I run Bird's Eye View and we are a charity that promotes films by women to audiences and so we love coming to Plymouth. We've been here since the start of our initiative which is called Reclaim the Frame and it's all about celebrating women uh, who create films. Um, Barbara Streisand didn't create this film but it's the start, it's a really seminal film in her film career. Uh, it's the first film that she started, she established uh, herself as the role on stage first. It's also a film that's written by a woman so when we were asked by the BFI um, the BFI British Film Institute are doing a big seasonal tour around the country celebrating the musical across the ages on screen. And we only ever promote films written or directed by women. So when we started to look at musicals, there were so few films written or directed by women that were musicals. And the person who kept coming up time and time again was Barbara Streisand. As not just being a, a, a key person on screen, but behind the camera too. Uh, so she doesn't have a, a, a credit on this film, so she wasn't, but she was a massive part of the kind of look of the film. So her hair and makeup was hers. She did this. Uh, the look is hers. So she was. It was the start of Streisand's film journey. She won an Oscar at age 24, and we are going to be talking a lot about Streisand at the end because this is part of our reframing Streisand season. Um, we've also been touring. Um, Yet tool, and we've been screening that with female rabbis, that's been amazing. Uh, and um, drag kings and queens, um, because Barbara's son is gay and she loves her um, drag king and queen fandom and her LGBTQI fandom. So that's a very good part of her, um, her not just her appeal, of course, her appeal is universal, but she's just such an interesting character. So we're going to be talking a lot about her at the end. Um, and Strides is the only person to have, have a number one album across six decades. Let's just think about that. Six decades, number one album across each decade. And she's one of the only people to have won an EGOT. If you don't know what that is, that's a Grammy, sorry, an Emmy, a Golden Globe, a Grammy, and an Oscar. So only 15 people have actually ever won that. So that's all the key prizes across music, film, and theatre. Um, but Streisand didn't have it easy and she describes herself as an actress who sings 
and not, and, but she was always framed as a singer who got to act sometimes, and she took, tried to take part of creative control in her career, but despite being a huge star and incredibly popular with the audiences, she still struggled quite a lot in her film career. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we're going to have a talk afterwards. So we have some special guests. So we have um, Professor Roberta Mock, who is a professor of performance um, at University of Plymouth. And she's got a really interesting framing of Jewish female identity, particularly around Um We have Neil Fox, who is co-founder of the um, podcast Cinematologist. We're going to talk earlier. He's going to be recording our conversation. Um, and is also um, Professor of Film Studies at the University of Falmouth. And last but not least, a great friend of mine, um, Andrew Wiswison, who is um, one of the world's most acclaimed music video directors. Uh, and so we're all going to be talking about the film from our particular perspectives, and then we're going to have a conversation with you because we know we've got some art fans in the audience, I'm sure you know more than we do. Uh, and it's really lovely to hear what you think of this film. We just had a conversation that um, a couple of people here haven't seen the film for 30 or 40 years. So what an amazing treat to, to be here and seeing it on the big screen. Um, so thank you also to Kelly. Welcome Kelly. So, uh, we love having you here every time. And for being a funny girl hair tribute um, pilot, shall we say. Uh, so a great book. Keep going on here in front of it. And thank you to the hairdressers. Um, to uh, Tessa and Zoe who, from Fred's hair salon who did that for us. Um, so let's get on and watch the film and we'll see you again afterwards. Thank you. Enjoy. Okay. <laughs> we travel single oh Maybe we're lucky but I don't know with them, just let one kid fall down and seven mothers faint. I guess we're both happy, but maybe we ain't. People, people who need people. So... 
now you're whole. No more hunger and thirst, but first be a person who needs people. Right, I am going to introduce, first of all, um, Roberta, tell us your specialism and what you're going to talk about. Hi. Oh, right. Do you want to sit down? <laughs> right, um, my name is Roberta Mark and I work at the University across the road. And, um, and I'm going to just tell you a wee bit about where Barbara Streisand fits into a kind of history of celebrity. Because even though the standard line is how different she was and how unusual she was um, and how she really broke the mold in so many ways, what's really interesting to me about Barbara Streisand is that's the case only if you consider the very short history of Hollywood cinema up to the point that Funny Girl was made. But actually, if you look way back, then what you see is, in terms of a modern history of celebrity, she is like the pinnacle of that. Um, and that actually includes early silent film as well. So do you want me to go on, or should we introduce yep, ourselves? Yep, yep. Okay, I'm going to go on. Okay, so um, what happens is, the very first time you see her, just now, in Funny Girl, She's wearing, you know, the gorgeous leopard fur coat and everything. And, you know, she looks, you, you eventually see her, you're waiting for the big build-up, and she goes, hello, gorgeous, right? And that actually, at, at, in that one moment, what she's doing is she's, like, establishing her celebrity stardom because we're really waiting for it. And she's showing her nose off, and she's using this Yiddishkeit accent. And what Yiddishkeit is, is a kind of... Jewish Eastern European sense of gesture and voice that would have been recognized by, by Jewish audiences in the mid 20th century. So it's kind of a question, it's not really a question. Um, and this whole thing about sort of her being in part of a lineage of uh, Jewish women celebrities is really established from the very beginning um, when, when we have the very first flashback. Um, and she sort of, she, she even gives the line, I'm a bagel on a plate of onion rolls. So she's really signaling what's going on there. Um, and she's, you know, desperate to keep her, her job as a chorus girl. Um, and certainly, though, like bagels were really unusual in the 1920s when this was set, and they were still considered really ethnic food. They're not mainstream like they are now. You can get them at M&S. But at the time, she was really signaling, I'm really Jewish, I'm really different, and I'm part of something. And she sort of taps into... Um, the history of Fanny Bryce. And Fanny Bryce was actually one of the very first American uh, performers to transform Jewishness into a celebrity status. So Streisand is kind of absorbing that. And, and as you could see in the movie, 
Bryce is sort of stuck in trade where these Jewish girls who didn't quite fit in, the sort of ethnicity, um, didn't quite fit into the chorus line. And you can really see that, um, like she had a specialty song that was called Becky is Back in the Ballet about a kind of klutzy immigrant Jewish girl. And you actually see that in the movie. They, they transform that into the Schwanlick uh, routine. So you see the Streisand kind of doing that. So Funny Girl kind of quotes uh, Fanny Bryce through the, uh, the entire thing, but um, what's really interesting is that neither Fanny nor Barbara were actually brought up in Jewish or, or very observant households. They kind of performed Jewishness as a stock in trade. It was part of their celebrity. It was very, very deliberately put on to make them um, stand out from the crowd in particular. And the two things that they really used um, were their noses and their voices. And if you read sort of Jewish cultural studies, those are the things that are really, they really sort of stand out. The Jewish cultural historian Sandra Gilman says these are the two sort of key elements um, for Jewish difference in particular from the 19th century onward. So what I want to do just really quickly is um, kind of dig deep into the lyrics of um, I'm a Greatest Star. I'm just going to read them to you, okay? Um, the very beginning of the first verse. And she says, Now can't you see, to look at me, that I'm a natural Camille? As Camille, I just feel I've so much to offer. Kid, I know I'd be divine because I'm a natural coffer. <coughs> so those are sort of the, the verb, uh, the, the, the words that she sings the first time we kind of meet her. And in order to actually understand that, you have to understand that one of the um, biggest celebrity actors ever was a, a French actor called uh, Sarah Bernhardt. And Sarah Bernhardt was known for her coughing. She was sort of known for putting on tuberculosis for her entire life. And she was also extremely well known for her portrayal of Marguerite in La Dame aux Camellias. In fact, she performed it in a silent movie version, which was incredibly popular. So what's happening in that very first verse of the song is that Barbara Streisand, through Fanny Bryce, is pointing directly to the greatest celebrity actress ever who was Jewish and who was known to be Jewish as well. And we see all sorts of similarities. Um, in Bernhardt's case, um, they would point to her nose and to um, a sort of her, her high fees and things like that, very similar to the way uh, Streisand has been criticized for having very high fees um, when, when she gives concerts. Um, there's a, a caricature of her with like money flying past her, sort of Jewish stereotypes, money flying past her um, and uh, holding a little dog, which really sort of reminds you of all of the stuff about Streisand cloning her dog. I mean, you see the same tropes over and over again, but the difference is that Streisand totally owns them. She completely embraces them. So she refuses those sort of um, the sort of anti-Semitic overtones. And the other thing about Sandra Ber uh, Sarah Bernhardt, which is really interesting, is that she was well known for commissioning her own material. She ran her own theatre, and she was also criticised for that, for being too manly. She also occasionally played men's roles as well. And we see all of this in Streisand when she, um, when she does Yentl as well. 
And there are more actors as well. They kind of, they all roll, because the thing is that Sarah Bernhard was actually taking her cues from a previous French Jewish actor called Rochelle Felix, who sort of single-handedly transformed the French stage and died of tuberculosis. And she too was famous for playing a character called Camille. So you get all of that, and it's all there right at the start of, um, of I'm a Greatest Star in in Funny Girl, and you see it all the way through Streisand's career. So really, in terms of framing Streisand, what I'd like to do is kind of shift the narrative away from the fact that she's an aberration and actually say she's not an aberration. She is actually completely central in the pinnacle of a celebrity culture that went back over 100 years. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. I have pictures of those people if you want to see them. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, might, I might just kind of um, kind of continue. I hadn't seen the film before, and I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was really, really amazing. Um, it's interesting that it comes out in 1968, which is a time when Hollywood is in massive turmoil. So there's a great book by Mark Harris called Pictures at a Revolution, which talks about the 1968 Oscars, which, which featured both The Graduate and Dr. Doolittle, and that kind of seismic... Thing. And, and this is a, a musical which feels very much in that kind of world of old Hollywood, not really knowing what to do with it, um, with, with the musical, which, which I will unpack in a bit. So it's really interesting to sort of, to visit a film from a period which is not considered a great period for big studio movies. You know, it's very much in flux. It's very much moving towards the new Hollywood. And the director's really interesting because it's William Wyler, who's kind of not known for musicals and very much a a dramatic director. Um, and it's a, such an interesting film, I think, because he, he's both the right director and the wrong director for Streisand, I think, in that moment. Because he's a director who famously knew, knew what to do with actors. And you, know, you mentioned before that she considered herself an actress. And he really, he directs her like an actress. You know? And there's so, he leans into the drama all the time. Interesting that Herbert Ross did all the musical sequences. <laughs> you know, Wyler's not going anywhere near that choreography, really. He's interested in that relationship between um, uh, Nick and, and, and Fanny. Um, and, and Sharif is not a musical performer. He's, a, he's an old, old kind of traditional Hollywood actor, um, which I think makes for an interesting kind of a pairing. But he really leans into, into, into the drama, which at the time is kind of not what people were doing. And what's interesting is that Streisand in the film is so not classical Hollywood. Um, in terms of what we've come to expect, but she's she's very modern. She would fit really easily into New Hollywood, and she does with What's Up Doc, where she is such a great screwball performance. Um, but it's in, but this film, because it's wrapped up in the whole old Hollywood thing, seems to kind of trap her almost in amber as as kind of doing things, and no one really sees what what she can do. The performer that she reminded me the most of in the film was Jerry Lewis. I think she's amazing physical comedian. Her timing is impeccable. The way she moves, her physicality is just breathtaking. She owns every inch of the frame in the way that Lewis does in that kind of period up to the 60s. But again, that's kind of falling out of fashion at the time. Um, and, and she's absolutely remarkable. And all of this kind of comic naturalness is just so, it's so present throughout. And then you get that kind of goosebump scene at the end where she sings a song and all of the emotion just kind of floods out. I think it's an incredible performance. Um, and what's, what's kind of strange is just how, 
how kind of classical it is compared to like compared to some of those films but but you can sort of see Wyler trying to do different things particularly in the middle where you know with, with that amazing sequence where she runs to Nick you know and it kind of it's it's running to the train and then she's on the train and then she's on the boat and it's just like when he's out of the studio setting it, it's there's some really interesting stuff going on but he's just at the end of his career he's at the wrong he's at the wrong time to really kind of push it which I think is it's kind of amazing, and I think a lot of the the problem is the film is a, is a backstage musical in that kind of traditional Hollywood sense of it's about it's about showbiz, it's about the show. So so much of the the music is kind of wrapped up in performance, in her performance on stage, um, and there are sequences obviously where it's not, um, and those are the most kind of gripping and interesting for me anyway. Um, and I thought that it it kind of tailed off a little bit in the. Oh, just after the intermission when it's trying to cram in story and trying to get Nick's descent because it's just not as interesting when she's not on screen mm -hmm. she really is so magnetic and the presence is so incredible but then that wonderful scene where uh, Nick's proposition then that, that sequence kind of really pulls it back on track and the whole kind of last sort of 25 30 minutes is just kind of devastating I'm just going to check my notes to make sure I've said everything I wanted to say oh yeah um, <laughs> What was amazing, just to kind of finish off my thing about it being just at the wrong time, so it's kind of end of, end of well, Jerry Lewis and kind of classic Hollywood, but then that Swan Lake scene is Mel Brooks. Like that is, if Mel Brooks does that three years later in The Producers and is, is lauded as a genius, and it's just so interesting that she just falls here in this time where it's all seen as kind of, yeah, odd and not right, but you can kind of piece together just before and just after in Hollywood and just sort of see you know, if it was kind of three years later, if she's doing that, it might be a very different story, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's it, that's my notes for now. Thank you. Andrew? Hi. Yes, indeed. Um, it's the second time uh, I've seen the film in the last uh, week, um, but the first time on the big screen, and uh, um, obviously a film designed to be seen on, on the big screen. I mean, it's, it's a musical. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, as, as, a, as a director myself, working a lot with, with musicians and, and music, um, uh, and someone very interested in, in performance, um, as, as you've just said, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, um, Conveys that um, the, the the whole creative dilemma and, and um, versus real life and um, I mean, there's, there's you know many many things. Um, um, one one of the things that I found dynamic was I was constantly having to fluctuate between. Barbara Streisand, am I watching a musician, a singer, or am I watching, watching an actor, an actress? Um, and that, that is, it wasn't, it wasn't an unsettling thing, but, but, but um, it, it is, I mean, it couldn't have been better for, for the role. You know, it, 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 it's the, the perfect casting um, in, in, in that respect. Um, just to echo again what, what you were saying about her, you know, her performance and the the skill, the, 
she has with her, with her voice, her singing voice is, is equally matched with her, her acting, you know, her physicality, her, her um, um, communication. Um, it's, you know, it's absolutely staggering. I mean, we're in the presence of, 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 a, of a superstar, you know, but that's what we're watching you know, in, in, in the best sense of the word. Um, just going back to what you were saying, um, uh, talking about you know American Jewish culture, and uh, um, I'm sure it's no accident that that she was leaving New York, passing the Statue of Liberty, whereas you know her forebears would have been coming the other way, you know, hundred years um, previous. Um, and um, talking of 1968, it's uh, and, and Hollywood being. You know the dinosaur. It's interesting that you know I think two years later they cast Omar Sharif to play Che Guevara <laughs> in, in, a, in a film that I actually haven't seen, but I don't think um, it takes much imagination to uh, what it might be like. And while we're talking of communists, um, <laughs> I was very very taken with her red sailor's outfit that she wore, wore in the beginning, which. Um, it was wonderful. And, and how can we forget the lime green roller skates? Um, they, they stick in my mind. But, um, yeah, I, you know, stating the obvious, but, but um, you know, the, the whole sense of performance and, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's the motif of, of the stage, the, the dressing room door is repeated throughout, and inside, outside. Um, commerce um, in a private space. It's interesting what you were saying um, about the, the, the kind of location shooting. That is that when the story, when her bubble um, started to, to 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 be punctured, the locations started to become real. We moved out of the soundstage onto you know station platforms, onto trains, and um, and, it, and, it, and it did shift shift a gear and and, and have. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's many things more, but um, um, I'm sure we can continue. Okay, I'm going to open it up to you shortly. The one, a couple of things I wanted to say were um, absent fathers are a recurring thing in uh, Streisand's life, actual life, and, and also in the work. Uh, so she, her, her father died when she was 10 months old, I believe. And so Yentl is all about the loss of a father and it's absolutely dedicated to her father and she believed that he, she actually did a seance um, and he spoke through her or he gave her a sign and, and that was the decision to direct that film. She wasn't going to before. Um, and in this there is again an absent father and I was reminded of that again. It's, a, it's really interesting. Mm. The, always it's a, it's a big thing. Um, and also, I think what was striking watching this and Anne Yentl is how much she learns directing from this film. So there's a whole, if you've seen Yentl, there's a whole sh kind of reverse shot at the end where she's on, the, on it's sort of massively echoed in Titanic as well, but she does it better actually, um, where she's um, leaving for America and it's the, she's again on a mass, well, she's not on a ferry, she's on a boat. Um, in this, it's a ferry. Um, and that incredible helicopter shop 
um, and she does it exactly the same in but but um, you know different context in her own film that she directs so it feels like she learns a lot um, and like really is very inspired by all of the directors that she's worked with it makes her again a great director um, and I think that was all I had to say so I, I, let's open it up it's really nice to have responses from you uh, people who haven't seen it before people who have seen it a long time ago what it was like to revisit um, or equally let's ask questions because we've got some great guests so we'll just shout we'll so shout yeah okay. um, uh, I, I did see it a long time ago, um, well over 40 years, um, and it's it's just as wonderful now. I think part of you is that amazing score where she um, and the way she sings it. It's just um, it's, it's just full of great songs. Um, he also just watching William Wyler's work and the way he's lit her and shot her mm -hmm. is superb. Mm -hmm. So every time she just looks extraordinary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, the end shot. Um, with the kind when she's just that, just that very pale lighting on her on her mm -hmm. hands. It's just, it's just a wonderful way to end the film. Great thing you mentioned the lyrics. There's one lyric that I had noticed before that made me laugh. It's when the, it's when the ladies, the Jewish ladies, are all talking and she's going on to the first edition. And there's a, a, a rhyming line in there where they say they're talking about her inadequacies and they're comparing her essentials. Too small then. Yeah. Which I just made me laugh. <laughs> I didn't want to. Um, another thing that struck me, you, um, you actually mentioned, sorry, your. Neil. Neil. Yeah. Oh, I want to ask you what a cinematologist is. Okay. I think we've got a typo. It's a cinematologist. It should be a cinematologist. Yeah. Oh, fine. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a maotologist. Right. Although we have been talking <laughs> communism, <laughs> so, uh, so maybe. Um, Oh yes, you mentioned um, Sharif being an old star, but surely it was only four or five years before we bring out the desert in France of Arabia, so I don't think it's meant. I think Chivaga um, was in between. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, to, class to, to clarify, like an old-fashioned kind of star, like, you know, a kind of straight, serious, um, earnest actor. You know, in, in in that kind of classical tradition. So not necessarily someone who'd been around a long time, but definitely of an of an old mode. Mm -hmm. what, yeah. Mm -hmm. Although not, because how many men of colour were there who were big well, stars? No, yeah, true that. Right? So yeah, yeah. I mean, that is the thing that I found also really refreshing yeah. that yeah. that him as a male as a as a romantic lead. I mean, you really think there were very few. He is incredible as his presence and his. Yep. His star, his star charisma is just, it just it's just transcendent, isn't it? It's, yep. it's amazing. Apart from when he sings, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was another yeah. hand up here, I'm sure. Did I dream it? Who hasn't seen it before? Come on, let's hear from you. Are you a Streisand fan? Um, I, mean, I like, like Streisand, yeah, but I'm not a massive fan, but um, she was just electrifying. Mm -hmm.
there one film, like the first one I saw her in was A Star Is Born. Mm -hmm. That was the one in, was it late 70s? Yep. Um, and, you know, her rendition of Evergreens. Amazing. It just held, you know, just held you there. I'll never forget that, really. Mm -hmm. um, when the helicopter shot, she was on that tugboat chasing after the line. Like, yeah. Was, would that be in Streisand or no? They used to. No, that's her. Yes, that's her yeah. singing. And yeah, incredible. Close up when they were on it, which is singing at the front of the boat. Um, would that be in the studio? I think no, 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 no. It's no, one no. shot. Yeah. Yeah. Hair and a head move that was taking what the hairspray. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you think that would have been done? It would have been done with you know radios and and playback hidden speakers, so she could. To be honest, I'm pretty certain that I've read that the only the only song that was recorded live is the final one, My Man. Mm -hmm. um, but all of the rest is yep. sort of soundstage stuff, yep. the, the voice stuff is, yep. and dubbed afterwards. Yep. But the technical achievement of that oh, yeah, shot yeah, yeah, and yeah. the train shot, I mean, you can't nowadays, of course, yep. that's, that's just done by CGI, but not then. No. The real and that would have been expensive as well, so they wouldn't have been able to do that very much. You know, she's such a pro. She's yeah. Know. What's amazing about that is, is that Wyler know you know is, has got the confidence to know that that is a really funny moment potentially with that tugboat, essentially that tiny little boat, and she's just on the top of it. But there's so much confidence that she will she will just pull it off. She yeah. will nail that moment, yeah. and it won't be it won't be funny. It's slightly incongruous, but it's not. It's it's so powerful, and yep. it, it, her voice compared to the size of the boat is just amazing. Yep. Yeah, it's so good. It also pays off because when she gets to the cabin, um, the, the flowers are all kind of mangled. Yeah. She she dirties yes. she's got soot and things. Yeah. Like tugboat on her, so so you get that comic mm. relief. Yeah. In spite of that, it's a great emotional moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Any more feedback? Yeah. Do you want to wait for the mic? Um, I enjoyed the comments, thank you. I didn't see this as a child. Uh, it's really great to see it as an adult because it's humour that is meant more to an adult. Just remember the relationship between them being sad as a child. The thing I really noticed was about. Um, Definitely minorities in the film, like the black men. Mm -hmm. you know, and having great black singers in the moment. So it's, it's good that, you know, as a Jew, you know, the Jewish is <coughs> pushed through, but there's still this suppression mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the great greatest things are So in, noticing that as an adult, seeing it with more adult eyes, yep. is, you know, all of your comments are really, really interesting. Yep. Yeah, and you. I also, um, the contrasting colours used, you know, the, the using, Musical where when she was in the film becoming famous, mm -hmm. there was sort of that musical vibe and just just the screens, you know, the, the, the um, sorry, the sets that had been made mm -hmm. and the colours used and all the tugboats 
short orange dress mm -hmm. with the turquoise tugs mm -hmm. and their complementary colours mm -hmm. and you know, the use of colour in the film. Mm -hmm. All the all seeing all of that with adult Thank you. Thank you. Anyone response? Just, just. Um, I mean, what, what, what? It's kind of. It's no, no, no surprise, but you know, what one of the, I think one of the pleasures of, of, of a musical, is that, all the departments kind of get to show off. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the wardrobe, um, mm -hmm. the makeup, um, you know, as well as the lighting and the music, and, it, and it's kind of. Um, that that you know that that's that's uh, you know if, if it's you know strong material is is is, is a you know is an audience joy you know and, and the film we've just seen you know is a, is a wonderful wonderful example of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and then there's a great contrast between some of the lavish set pieces mm -hmm. and when Wyler kind of brings it in for those sort of tender moments I love mm -hmm. this my favorite probably my favorite shot is when they're in the alleyway mm -hmm. and she's mm -hmm. sort of sat on the steps mm -hmm. and it's just such a closed in and it's sort of just he shoots a lot she's behind glass she's behind she's sort of trapped is what you were saying you know kind mm -hmm. of like she's in a bubble she's mm -hmm. very much protected from a lot of the stuff and that's he, he definitely kind of shoots a lot of that but that and then it kind of yeah there's these huge explosions of, of color and dance but there's also these really small moments where it's just the two of them like the, the where where they're in this kind of stationary cupboard in the in the courthouse mm -hmm. you know and it really works just that kind mm -hmm. of yeah like you say that kind of range of stuff mm -hmm. it's really yeah it's really great i mean just to pick up on that point of like lack of racial diversity the other thing that's tricky to watch now is some of the sexual politics and yeah. like the <laughs> I mean, some of it, I, 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 it's written by a woman, the Broadway musical was, was written by Isabel Leonard, who, who writes the screenplay for this too. And I thought one of the great lines I love, which epitomises the film for me or, and her character, is um, after the pregnant um, swan scene. And she says, they were going to laugh at me if I tried to be one of those girls. They did laugh. Yeah, but it was my joke. Love that. She owns that moment. But some of the sexual politics are really problematic. <laughs> I think it's really important to remember that not only is this a musical, it is a biopic. Yes, exactly. And it is a biopic Set that has been 20s. produced yeah. by Fanny Bryce's son-in-law. Yeah, right, exactly. So it mirrors Fanny Bryce's yeah. politics. Yeah. And Fanny Bryce did think those things. And at the height of yeah. her career, when she was absolutely massive, yeah. and she was asked, you know, would you let your daughter on the stage? She said no. Wow. Because she said that she wouldn't want her daughter to have that sort of yeah. loneliness and suffering and yeah. and not feeling a full woman. So yeah. it actually echoes yeah. exactly what Fanny yeah. Bryce. And I think it's actually interesting that if you look at Streisand's career, her sexual politics are very confusing. Yeah. You know, on one level, you can read what is going on is she is kind of queer and proud in many ways because because there's never quite a heterosexual resolution to anything. Yeah. She is always Nothing her own person. Yeah. But at the same time, there are always these sort of, yeah. sort of as, as feminists, they're quite difficult to yeah. watch. Yeah. So you love her career, yeah. you love everything she stands for, but some of the messages in her movies are still quite old fashioned. Yeah. And that's because they tend to be linked to older narratives, yeah. I think. Yeah. Watching it as a child, I 
Yeah. I was just going to ask, follow up that, Roberta, to ask you. I mean, do you, do you think that that, how much of that has to do with the fact that she's in, she's got a sense of self and a, a kind of de a determined approach to her career, but all, but also is working in a system where the opportunities to express that are very narrow. You know, yeah. do you, is that a conflict that comes up throughout her career between the material that she has to do because there's not many options, and then what she would like to do, I guess. Yeah, but she's such a big star that she could she chose it. Yeah, weird. You know, she didn't she didn't make that many movies. Um, and and in some cases she had an awful lot of control. Mm. And so there is a matter of choice, mm -hmm. especially when we're working in the 70s, mm -hmm. of the sorts of, of narratives she chose. Mm -hmm. A star is born, <laughs> you know. So she did choose those narratives. Um, and so you have that sort of paradox between the, the powerful presence of a professional mm -hmm. performer and the narratives that mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. that she's producing, I don't have any resolution to it. But I think no, she had so much yeah. power, yeah. That and she could do other things. Um, not like this, because of course she played this role on Broadway. Mm. And I don't know if you know this, but she was not the first choice. Even though she mm. originated the the award and won Tony awards for it, um, the Hollywood studios wanted Shirley MacLaine to play mm. the part. And again, it was Ray Stark who mm. um, who insisted that it was Streisand because she originated the role mm -hmm. and and was so popular in mm -hmm. it. Um, so this is kind of. Mm -hmm. But once she made this movie, she had a lot yeah. of she had a lot of clout. Although Yentl takes fourteen years to make. Oh so, yeah. And and she talked about how even though she was a star, she wasn't that that material was too Jewish. She wasn't trusted to. Yeah. To star, she was too old. She was forty-one yeah. when she made that movie, and she wasn't trusted to direct. So even though she did have commercial clout, As a the performer. system didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the system didn't allow yeah. her full-fledged creativity yeah. to take flight. That's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that isn't necessarily only, only her. I mean, it took, it took um, uh, Richard Attenborough twenty years to make Gandhi. So yeah, it's you know, sometimes you can get the project and. Yeah, I mean, not dissimilar issues as well. Gandhi, Yentl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, English-speaking world go, yeah, yeah too <laughs> ethnic. Why do we need those stories? Yeah, exactly. Rick, coming back to your point about, yeah, centering. Uh, Neil, can I ask, um, you, you mentioned about where this fits in the Hollywood genre of music. Um, and... Was it kind of coming, was it sort of coming to the, had it more or less come to the end of that great, the great period of musicals? Because obviously West Side Story had been about a few years before, and then I can't remember what, and then there's this, and then there's up this huge gap, isn't there, before, it's like nobody makes a musical until they make well, they, I mean, uh, they 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 kind of change. Yeah, you know, they do they do change. Saturday I mean, Night Fever's mid seventies. I wouldn't yeah. say it's a musical, Star but like New York, New, Scorsese makes New York, New York, and then you have A Star yeah. Is Born. You know, so they feel different. Cab Cabarets, cabaret, yeah, yeah, is um is you know yeah. so, th but they're all Greece, very different, very yeah. different to 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 this. This this is at the end of the yeah. Hollywood musical yeah. as 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 it was known. Being you know, elaborate. you have the kind of early sixties. <laughs> Disney kind of big hitters like Sound of Music and uh, Mary Poppins and that kind of thing, you know, that's, but 
and that feels Dolly is after this. Hello, Dolly is yeah. after this, isn't but it's it? yeah. just sort of riding on it. Isn't yeah, it? they're still this. It's kind of they're still making them because that's they kind of that's all they know how to do by that stage is 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 those kind of big epics and those big yeah. those big musicals. But taste is changing, you know. Yeah. So, which is why I think this film kind of gets lost, really, because you know a lot of those films don't do well critically in terms of what is fashionable and what is you know so um, and I go back to Do Doolittle again which is a kind of it is that's a that's a film which becomes the talk of Hollywood as Hollywood is a dinosaur Hollywood is completely yeah. out of touch and it's not it's not to be so anything that kind of comes in the wake of that yeah. and and kind of Dr. Doolittle kind of the old guard kind of buying its way into the Oscars essentially you know and making sure it's there to, to represent this thing which mm. is kind of out of touch kind of taints everything that kind of comes in that tradition mm -hmm. for a while um, to the point where even something like New York, New York by Martin Scorsese is is kind of disregarded because it's seen mm. as part of this tradition it, in terms of which is and it's now kind of slowly getting a reappraisal mm -hmm. because it's still got those kind mm -hmm. of connections to that, that period. And it's only a year later where Easy Rider and then Coppola and, you know, the new yeah. Young Turks take over Hollywood. Cause yeah, I mean, this, yeah, you've got Easy Rider, Bonnie and Clyde graduate, yep. the same year as this. So yeah. it's, it's, you can s literally sort of slice it down the middle in terms, yep. of, in terms of those two yep. types of films that are coming out of the same system at the yep. same time. And Wyler's like an old director. Yeah. And Hopper's, what, 26 yeah. or something when he makes, or just a bit older, about 30 when he makes Easy Rider. So, yeah. Okay, I think we should wrap there. So thank you very much. It's a long film, so thank you for also wonderful guests, all your great responses, Thanks Roberta and Neil and yeah, Wiz. Um, and we'll have a drink. We'll be we'll be sticking around if you want to come and talk afterwards. Thank you very much for being here. Hopefully, see you again in January. We'll be back with another. We'll be back with a new film in January. <laughs> Not sure what it is. We haven't booked it yet. Shooting the Mafia. Shooting the Mafia. Okay, amazing documentary yeah. about the doc the a woman who took pictures of the mafia and was part of a movement to rid Sicily of the mafia and she succeeded. Amazing film. So hopefully see you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And just a um, big up to Kelly's hair again. Yeah. Uh, one ticket on the Empire Limited departing from New York at 8.30 a.m. now boarding a track 14. Fanny, what's the matter with you? Haven't you any pride? No, I love the guy. He loves me. I want to be with him. It's that simple. Fanny, can't you see you making a fool of yourself? Georgia, when something's right for me, I do it, and this is right for me. Have you asked yourself if it's right for Nick? I'll make it right for him. Fanny, don't stick your neck out of the way. To live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Don't tell me not to fly. I simply got to. If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? I'll march my band out. At least I didn't fake it, hat, sir. I guess I didn't make it, but whether I'm the rose of sheer perfection, a freckle on the nose of life's complexion, the cinder or the shiny apple of its eye. I gotta fly once, I gotta try once, only can die once, right, sir? Ooh, life is juicy, juicy, and you see, I'm gonna have my bite. 
get ready for me love Cause I'm a comer I simply gotta march My heart's a drummer Don't bring around a cloud of rain on my parade I'm gonna live and live now Get what I want, I know how One roll for the whole shebang One throw that bell will go clang I on the target and wham One shot, one gunshot and bam Hey, Mr. Onstein Here I am Thanks so much to Plymouth Art Centre for hosting the event. Thanks to Mia at uh, Bird's Eye View for inviting me. Thanks to my fellow panellists. I had a really, really fun time. I think it came across in that, just just what fun it was. Um, and, yeah, what about you, Dario? What was your... Because this, this was a film that neither of us had seen before before this episode, which is a kind of rarity, but it's always exciting. So I wonder what, what you made of it. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And... I thought it was just before we get on to Barbara Streisand. I, th- I thought it was really interesting and complicated, and almost sort of postmodern. And I, I know that it, it, that might sound completely ridiculous, but it it had so many sort of elements to it where it it was when I looked it up on on Wikipedia and it was shot in sixty eight. I just couldn't believe it. It was almost as if the texture of it had that whole Nicholas Ray Rebel Without a Cause or. You know, maybe even sort of Douglas Sirk and, and Hitchcock with the, you know, the painted stages and stuff like that. And yet it was set in the in the in the sort of American vaudeville era. But looked like it could have been shot. You know, in the in the in the sort of 40s. Do you know what I mean? So there's almost sort of like time periods all mashed up together. And then you've got hmm. this you've got this star at the center of it who is both clearly a mod a very modern star if you if you if we're talking a sort of you know the mid 60s transition you know in 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 the united states a sort of culture war era of civil rights period and and but but yet here's a director who is you know one of the classics you know one of the 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 all-time sort of great you know, I don't, I don't know where you'd say old Hollywood, but you know, sort of classical Hollywood director of the of the post-war era. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've got the kind of incongruousness of 
uh, Omar Sharif as an actor and Barbara Streisand as a character and then the incongruousness of those two as characters. Do you know what I mean? So there's, yeah. there's almost sort of like tensions of things that, that maybe shouldn't fit together. And it is a not it is a strange watch I find I find in that in that way, and 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 sort of editing it's it's at times it's sort of all over the place a little bit you know what I mean where you've got to cut oh we've gone there now we've we're going here now do you know what I mean yeah the second half particularly um, yeah 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 it does sort of go a bit weird it, it, and and the whole sort of you know where where he, he, at one point he's got more more money than sense and then you know no sense at all and no money either, you know, later on. And he's like, how does he make all this money do- doing card games? And then, you know, her, ent- her, I love her sort of entry point into, you know, being a, being a star and how that kind of happens sort of accidentally. And, you know, and she goes in and, and there's that performance where she gets everything wrong, but they all love it, you know? And, and, and it, it just sort of, it's an amazingly brilliant conceit to set up and position a star in a perfect vehicle to show hot show off all of her talents and and because you you sort of believe that you be, you do then believe the relationship mm. that that takes place you know believe in the sort of you know in the loosest sense yeah, yeah. of that of that word you know I, I, yeah it, an amazing an amazing film in many ways i think brilliant yeah it was interesting because in the last episode we talked about uh, anna karina in infairment and femme and it felt very similar as in terms of an mm. introduction to a star in a particular context and giving giving them the space and the kind of the multiplicity of things to do in that space to just show what they what they're capable of um it, she just owns the screen strides and just incredibly you know in, in in every turn she's just absolutely remarkable um yeah, it's a really and it is a, it is a strange film, like you say, with a lot of those kind of tensions going on, which probably would have been there in in sixty eight, but might have been necess- not necessarily under- understood, um, you know. But but they yeah, definitely yeah, feel yeah. like there. It's interesting what you're saying there about the look of the film and the setting of the film, and it, you know, you, yeah, you kind of feel Weiler drawing on all, all of his 30 40 years at, at the time sort of late 20s maybe 30 years of experience yeah. in hollywood as a classical hollywood director using all of it can you just imagine though this being in a theater house at the same time maybe as something like bonnie and clyde and thinking we're in a completely different time you know like temporal period here you know what i mean that's what i was saying in my thing you know kind of thinking about it in that in that that context is is extraordinary you know um and i think that yeah he's both he's the right director for her to launch a career in the sense of he gets how to shoot her he shoots her beautifully Mm. you know and he 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 trusts her to deliver at every single turn you know he's an he's a director who knows actors very well but also in terms of launching her into the stratosphere as a kind of new hollywood star he's just the wrong director because he's he's so classically rooted which is kind of interesting and I did talk about that that Mark Harris book there, which I'll give, give another shout out, Pictures at a Revolution, which is a brilliant book, which tells the story of the 1968 Oscars. So, you know, and the best picture race, which was uh, Easy Rider. Um, no, not sorry, Easy Rider. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, In the Heat of the Night, The Graduate, mm. um, Guess Who's Coming for Dinner, and then Dr. Doolittle, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and the politics of like why Hollywood wanted Dr. Doolittle nominated and you know and but 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 just how laughable it is to have that film you know amongst 
yeah, in the heat of the night and yeah. uh, and, and uh, Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate particularly. Guess Who's Coming Dinner is an interesting kind of middle ground yeah, where yeah, Hollywood's yeah. trying to be progressive but doesn't work. But it's just, this is in that era of like, this is the, the dinosaur. This is the work of a dinosaur, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a studio system. But you watch Dreisand's performance and you're like, this is not an old star. No, this no. is someone who's, re- you know, exactly which is really interesting. I was going to say, her kind of modernism... Yeah. As a presence, modernism, great. Way, you know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah. uh, I mean, it's funny to describe a person like that, but it and and it is that incongruity with Omar Sharif again. You know what I mean? Where she is so so sort of clearly fresh. You know what I mean? And 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 of of the moment, you would you mm. you would argue. And it's yeah, it's 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 fascinating to to see her. I mean, again, you've got to credit the writing for this as well. But her ability to critique that that sense of the the woman as ornament hmm. you know what i mean and yeah. it happens in the you know in various scenes where and you know part of it is due to this this sort of self-reflexive uh, anxiousness about her own looks which probably you know you could you could argue is is clearly there in her you know in her own personal life let's say you know what i mean it, and, and but she's she's aping on that and it's having to be the the funny girl in order to yeah, yeah. make up for the fact that she is, she doesn't look like one of these one of these models, and it's and I think that yeah, that's yeah. really again that, that that is that start of uh, start of, but do you know what I mean that that interrogation of representation. I think that the the the, the sort of strongest female stars were were doing will have always been doing I think you know and perhaps it's not recognised as such. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point, you know, and it definitely is in her performance, not just in the script where the character's asked to do that, but in the way she carries herself and the way she mm. commands space, I think is really, yeah, is really apposite to that. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm so pleased that you, uh, so pleased that you dug it. Um, it's yeah, nice, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's interesting as well when you think of her as, as a figure in Hollywood, because remember she was mentioned in the, the Making Waves episode yeah. about Star is Born and was absolutely, you know, um, t- I don't want to say tyrannical, but you know what I mean. She she was absolutely sure of what yeah, she yeah. wanted in terms of the sound recording of that. Yeah, film. precise, then, wasn't she? Precise. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's that, that's a better word. And then, you know, she's she's in, interestingly in sort of in the screwball comedies, and he's sort of perfect in those. Like, what's up, Doc? Is a and but but then you know moves into other areas. She did this absolutely bonkers surrealist feminist film in the 70s called Up the Sandbox. Have you seen that? I've not seen that, no. Oh, you've got to, you've got to check that out. It is really weird. It's sort of Elaine May-ish a little bit. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, Because she, she plays this sort of bored housewife and, 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 and starts to have these kind of weird surrealist fantasies to make up for the fact that she's trapped in her home as the mother and, and wife kind of thing. Great. Um, and then, you know, obviously she, she set up the first artist's production company, you know, and and he's was clearly quite very clear in in what her position within the industry was going to be. She was going to fight her corner, yeah. And you know, and and then was a, a big producer, and and you know, in films like Yentl, which is another one that is is often sort of seen as a step change and 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 a an example of her being in a serious role and showing that she did have that that acting ability and. Uh, yeah, just a, a, you know, a, a sort of an amazing all-round figure, I think. Yeah, Mia talked a little bit about that in terms of her her role as a director and the kind of the the success of Yentl, but also how difficult it was for her to get a a directing gig after that. Although 
what's interesting is that um, Criterion have just announced that they're going to release Prince of Tides, which is her, yeah, oh, as, right. a, as a Criterion, which I think is a big step in that kind of, again, reclaiming her as a director and not just, you know, uh, an actor who... Uh, and again, you know, she is... It's amazing to think of someone as powerful as Streisand as being the victim of those kind of forces in Hollywood and not, you know, having a film that's as specific and successful as Yentl and not being able to build a career off the back of it, you know, even for someone as... Yeah. And being and being kind of labelled with all those things about being very uh, hard to work with and domineering and, you know, kind of opinionated uh, about things. Um which again is a reminder that, that when women do it, it's seen as that, and when men do it, it's like proof of their eccentric, innovative genius. Um, you know, so hopefully yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. the the long reappraisal of of Streisand will continue, and I'm definitely going to be checking out that uh, that seventies feminist surrealist thing. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and, and it's funny again. You could just what you related there. I mean, if you think if you think back to when she made that that sort of comeback on on Meet the Fockers, yeah. And he's great. He's just just as funny. Her and Dustin Hoffman are just hilarious together. But but you know, it's like De Niro goes on and Dustin Hoffman mm. goes on and make continues to make big pictures, but Streisand doesn't. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And it's it, it, I think it does sort of play into what you were saying there. Yeah, I mean, her, yeah, she's the only her her and Hoffman are the only reason to watch those movies. You know that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the in, yeah, the, the comic interplay between those two is is extraordinarily good. Yeah. Um, yeah that's that's yeah that's a good point yeah she doesn't get the same she doesn't get the same prop so in our way we're doing our bit we're giving her yes. giving her the props thanks to uh yeah thanks to reclaim the frame and bird's eye view for giving us the chance to give props brilliant well uh that's it i think for our double bill thanks very much neil for setting all of that up and putting in the uh the labor that is required to to do that not that it was you know arduous and too much you know I mean? it's all it's all we love doing it putting these kinds of episodes together we want to do justice to to the people of Astas but also to the you know to the subject matter itself so uh, well done on that thanks man yeah it's uh it, it's tricky um in a lot of ways kind of fitting in trying to get to events and get to speak to people particularly where I'm based so this I think these two episodes it's worked out really nice with people being able to to do some stuff remotely and times worked out well when i met pamela hutchinson in london and yeah having the, an event as cool as this in plymouth was was a bit of a godsend so yeah it's worked out really nice but uh, and it's been a pleasure so yeah thank you for thank you for that and uh, yeah it's been great to chat it's been great to chat musicals and streisand with you yeah for the for the pod brilliant yeah same here so um you're probably listening to this just after christmas so uh Hope you're all having a, a joyous uh, holiday season so far. We do have our end of year episode, our famous now end of year episode that is coming up, we'll, and that will drop on New Year's Day. So you can watch that under the under the covers with a hangover if that's your if that's your want. So uh, Neil, enjoy the rest of the holiday. Thanks, buddy. You too. And we shall see you very soon again on the Cinematologist podcast. Staring with blood
Sambo. 